Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study called Hope, a series in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 4 today, picking up at verses 8 through 11. As Christians patiently wait for the Lord's return, what character traits should typify our treatment of one another? How do we demonstrate love, both for God and each other? Open your Bible to 1 Peter 4 and listen to this week's message, Love Among the Saints. From Pastor David Wilson. We believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe He's coming again. I like that phrase that said, Our faith is not dependent on the seasons of men, our faith is going to last. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to focus on verses 8 through 11, but I'll begin reading in verse 7. Would you stand while I read God's word out of respect for his word? Notice verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to be more loving toward one another. Help us to focus on others and to remember that we, you loved us first and we're to love others. So we ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts in ways that would convict us and encourage us and challenge us. And we just know that your word never returns void. So we come to you now asking you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's an old story about two Jews, two Catholics, two Baptists. We're on a ship, cruise ship. It sunk. They were on a deserted island, the six of them. They were on there for many years, and finally they were rescued. And when the people got to the island, they discovered that the Catholics had started the Church of St. Christopher. The Jews had started the Temple Emmanuel. And the two Baptists had started First Baptist and Second Baptist Church. <laughs> Dr. Eugene Bryce tells a disturb disturbing story about a minister who returned to visit a church he had once served, and he ran into um, a member in that former church named Bill. Bill had been an elder and a leader in the church, but he wasn't around anymore. The pastor asked Bill what happened. He said, Bill, you used to be there every time the doors were open. And he said, well, pastor, a difference of opinion arose in the church 
Some of us couldn't accept the final decision, and so we established a church of our own. Is that where you worship now, asked the pastor? No, said Bill. We found that there were two there people that were not faithful, and a, a small group of us began meeting in a rented hall at night. Well, has that proven to be satisfactory, asked the pastor. No, I can't say that it has, Bill responded. Satan was active even in that fellowship. So my wife and I withdrew and began to worship on Sunday at home by ourselves. Well, have you found that to work? And he said, no, I'm afraid we haven't. Even my wife began to develop ideas I was not comfortable with. So now she worships in the northeast corner of the house and I'm in the southwest corner of the house. It's amazing how people in God's kingdom can't get along. And I know that sometimes there are doctrinal issues. I understand that. But sometimes the disturbances and the divisions are just not really worth what's happened. But today we live in a society where we're so touchy about everything. I mean, uh, just look at how offended people are. Mercy, you're not going to get through life without being offended. Get over it. You're not going to agree with everything everybody says, but sometimes we make a statement and, and people are offended. I can read the word of God and people are offended. Now, you'll notice the first three words of verse eight says for four words, and above all things, before everything else, this is important, is what he's saying. Now, in verse 7, he said, you got to remember, the end of all things is at hand. The Lord's coming back. And above all things, you need to love one another. Oh, love, that's an interesting word, isn't it? We use it for everything. We do. I mean, and, and we, we've so watered down the word because it means so many different things to so many people. You talk about loving ice cream, loving your dog, loving your wife, loving the weather, loving where you live, loving this, loving that. I love that TV show. I love that movie. I love, I love, I love, I love. And really, it just, it's just a bunch of emotional, gooey stuff, isn't it? That's not the kind of love here we're talking about. This love comes only from God. In fact, a person that doesn't have the Lord in their life, who's never committed their lives to Christ, who's not a believer, who's not a born-again believer, they don't have this kind of love in their life. They can be nice, they can be courteous, and sometimes they can get along with the people. But I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit indwells your life, there's a love in your life that, that only he can put there. And it's not emotional. Now, sometimes your emotions can be involved because you will weep with those who weep and you'll rejoice with those who rejoice, but this love comes from God. It's volitional. It's a choice. It's not how you feel. And in this age of feely, touchy people, they don't understand this kind of love because if somebody doesn't agree with you, you don't love them anymore. Well, that's not this kind of love. Because this kind of love is agape love that comes from God. It's a prerequisite to everything else that Christians do. And so when you try to describe love, you would think, well, it has to do with feelings and it has to do with emotions. Peter's talking about a group of people who are going through intense persecution. 
going through some difficult times. In fact, next week we're going to look at when we go through trials in life. And he's saying, listen, you need to hang together. You're outnumbered. And above all things, knowing that the Lord's going to return, you need to love one another. And he describes this love with four characteristics. He says, first of all, love is fervent. Ectimus. It means to be intense without ceasing. It pictures an athlete straining to reach the goal. In Greek literature, it described horses that were running full speed, strained. It, it, it meant running all out, holding nothing back. And this love only comes from the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said the badge that Christians wear will be the love that you have for one another. Isn't it sad, though, that so many churches have so many people that argue and fight? And one of the reasons is, one of two reasons, either some of those people are not born again, or second of all, they're just carnal as they can be, and they need to get right with God. Because in a church, a church is supposed to be a place of loving people. I hope and pray that our church will continue to be a place of loving people, uh, the Christ kind of love, reaching out to love. And Jesus said, people are going to know that you are believers by the love that you have for one another. In John 13, 34, he said, a new commandment, he's giving to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We're supposed to love other people as God loves you and me. That means you've got to love people you don't like. That doesn't make sense, does it? Because you think, well, how can I, how can I uh, not love somebody that I don't like? Because, see, you've gone back to the days when you remember when you were in elementary school and you began to like that girl or that boy. And then you send them a note, do you like me? <laughs> Y'all amaze me at how reserved you try to be at times. <laughs> You try to look so dignified. I know better. <laughs> we sometimes think, well, I like this person, and then it develops into love. Well, that kind of love leads to marriage, hopefully, but that's not the kind of love we're talking about here. <laughs> we're talking about a love that God's put in our heart for other people. You see, you can actually say, I love somebody who's not here yet that doesn't know Jesus. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we try to reach out because we have a love for mankind that God has put in our heart because they are doomed without Jesus Christ. And we don't want to see that happen. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And he said, you're supposed to have that love, that fervent kind of love for one another. So we know that it is fervent. It is strenuous. It doesn't quit. It doesn't stop. But next, Peter says, love is forgiving. It covers a multitude of sins in verse 8. The word covers, calluptoed, it means to hide from judgment. Guess what, folks? Jesus' blood covered your sins to keep you from judgment. That's what this word means, to cover, to keep from judgment. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to hide or condone somebody's sin. 
When we see a brother or sister overtaken in a fault and sin, we're supposed to go to them out of love. And as long as we're not in the same sin, try to say, hey, do you realize the direction you're going? You're about to make a mistake. Could, can I help you? Can we pray for you? You need, to get, you need to stop doing what you're doing. You do that out of love for them. Not anger, not spite, not hatred. You do it out of love for them. But the word here, the cover means that we don't go out in a lost world where already the lost people are talking bad about Christians because of the good deeds they do. That's what Peter was saying in the verses prior to this. He said, you don't go out here and, and gossip about a believer to an unsaved person. You cover that. Let's, let's just get it all out here in the open. There's not a sinless person in this room. You can't even remember all the sins you committed this week. Because sometimes we omit things. We said this is for what we forgot to do. But God's love's covered, our, covered that over judgment. And I, the last place I need to go and talk about another believer is out in the lost world to a person that doesn't know Jesus. Because they already have a bad attitude about Christians and about religions and Christianity. And, and then you just give them more fuel for their fire when you run down another believer. You see, love kills gossip. Even when we try to make it spiritual, bless their hearts, we need to pray for them, this, this, and on we go. But you know what? The only solution for sin is forgiveness. And we've got to learn to forgive one another. Sometimes we try to, to hold on and, and, and we just, you know, we need to understand that, that we're going to be offended. I, I hate to tell you this, but if you haven't been offended at some time, and I say the word offense, you haven't had your feelings hurt or you haven't, whatever it, whatever you want to call it, you, if you haven't had that happen yet, just hang on. It's going to happen. Because I promise you someday you're going to walk by somebody who's on their last nerve and they're going to, you know, say something they don't mean. They've had a bad day and so forth. And, and they're going to hurt your feelings. So they're going to sit in your seat or they're going to park in your spot or they're not going to hold the door. They didn't speak to you. They didn't shake my hand and so forth and so on. We get so touchy. We got to learn to forgive one another. We pray for those people. Pray for each other. <laughs> the four-year-old was trying to recite the model prayer, got to that part about forgive us our trespasses. Didn't get it quite right, but actually pretty true. When he said, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you this, some people are going to put trash in your basket. We've all got different backgrounds here. Now, let me ask you this. Are you historical? I didn't say hysterical, <laughs> historical. A historical person is one who can remember every hurt and pain and offense that somebody has caused them. So instead of getting hysterical, we get historical. I can remember when they did that to me. I can remember when they did this to me. I can remember that. Aren't you glad God isn't historical? Because God forgives you and forgets. But isn't it amazing how many people have had their feelings hurt somewhere in a church, some at some time, and are probably people watching on television today or watching online, that you don't go to church anymore because you got your feelings hurt in a church. 
you got to forgive. You got to forgive people. Back in 1978, some of you will remember this. Some of you weren't born then, but in 1978 in the Gator Bowl, Ohio State coach Woody Hayes lost his temper and he slugged a Clemson player on the sideline. Y'all remember that? It was on television. He was fired immediately that night. He was facing shame and disgrace from every part of the football world. A few weeks later, there was a huge banquet where the Dallas Cowboy head coach at that time, Tom Landry, was speaking. There were many professional and college football players and coaches there. And Tom Landry asked if he could bring a personal guest. And his guest was Woody Hayes. He was covering a multitude of sins by showing love to the coach who had failed. Do you know that kind of person? Did you know that every Sunday, every Sunday you walk in this building, you pass people who have failed. And they need somebody to reach out to them. I hate to tell you this, but people in your life are going to fail you. They're going to offend you at some time. It, it, are any of you married? <laughs> that doesn't ever happen, does it? Yeah. So if you've got a marriage that's going to last, you have to forgive. If you're going to have a church and a group of Christians that are going to survive, you've got to have forgiveness. And it's amazing how many people hold grudges. You know what? I heard a great analogy. Holding a grudge is like you drinking poison and hoping that person will die. It's not hurting anybody but yourself. And God forgives you. Aren't you glad God forgave you? God forgives you? I don't know who wrote this, but you can relate to this. When some fellow yields to temptation and breaks a conventional law, we look for no good in his makeup, but my, how we look for a flaw. No one will ask how tempted, nor allow for the battles he's fought. His name becomes food for the jackals, for those who've never been caught. He has sinned, we shout from the housetops. We forget the good he has done. We center on one lost battle and forget the times he has won. Come gaze on the sinner, we thunder, and by his examples be taught that his footsteps lead to destruction, cry we, who have never been caught. I'm a sinner, O oh Lord, and I know it. I'm weak, I blunder, I fail. I'm tossed on life's stormy ocean like ships embroiled in a gale. I'm willing to trust in thy mercy to keep the commandments thou'st taught. But deliver me, Lord, from the judgment of saints who have never been caught. You see, we've got to forgive. Forgive people. Give them the benefit of the doubt. So we see it's fervent, it's stretching, it's, it's engaging. You are strain, straining to do that. It's forgiving, but it's also friendly. Verse 9 says, be hospitable one another without grumbling. 
He put those last two words in there for Baptist without grumbling. Hospitable. It means to share what God has given you with others. It means to be a lover of strangers. To be hospitable means to share, including our homes, our meals, our resources, our very lives. The early church was comprised of people like that. When you read in Acts chapter 2, beginning about verse 42, you find that they had all things in common, that they helped, they met together, they prayed together, they broke bread together. If somebody had a need, they did their best to try to accommodate and help one another. And the scripture says, and the Lord added daily to their fellowship. Daily. And we're to do it without grumbling. To be friendly. Are you a friendly person? Now, in your heart, you may think that. But if you walk by people and never speak, do you think they think you're friendly? This is something you're going to have to work at. Some of you are are naturally shy, and I understand that. But listen, if there was a time when you need to put on a friendly face and be friendly, it ought to be with other people who are born again like you. The church ought to be the easiest place to be friendly. I want to amen on this stuff, okay? Now, I understand that some days you have a bad day. Last night was not my best night. And thank God for the 8 o'clock crowd, or you'd really be getting it now. Because <laughs> I let them have it. Now, I didn't really let them. I just kind of told them what was going on. Am I going to tell you? But, but last night was a horrible night at my house. My wife's not there, so we didn't have a fight. <laughs> there by myself, just me and the dog. But the, but the fact is, this morning, when I, you know, the last place I wanted to come today was church. I'm just going to be frank with you. I got up this morning and said, Lord, I don't want to go to church. Give me one reason I have to go. <laughs> he said, because I told you to go. That's why. But, and, and the last thing I felt like doing was being friendly. But I got over that. See, here's what I'm telling you. You're giving, your first impression you're giving to people is when you're not friendly, there's, there's something wrong with you. Nobody can be friendly 100% of the time because we're all flawed. We're, we have our moments. Somebody's gotten on our last nerve, and you do the best you can. But to be hospitable, to be friendly ought to be the rule and not the exception. It ought to be the way we are. I want our church to be the friendliest, most hospitable, kindest church around. Why? Because we have the love of Jesus in us. Because we know what it's like to be forgiven. We know what it's like to be flawed. We know that we're not perfect and neither is anyone else in this room. And we don't have to be anyone but ourselves. But folks, listen, please work on being friendly. Because the love of God is in us. And it says to do it without grumbling. Grumbling. It means to talk under your breath. That's what grumbling is. That's what the Greek word means, to talk under your breath. It even sounds like it when you say grumble. Grumble. Okay, I'm going to let them sit in my seat this time. But next Sunday, they better not be in my seat. 
He didn't shake my hand this time, but he better do it next Sunday or I'm, I'm out of here. Whatever. Listen, when people walk in this room, they need somebody to be friendly to them. They've been spit up, chewed up by the world. Some of them have failed. Some of them have having a hard time. Some of them wonder if anyone cares. And if there's ever a place they ought to be able to walk in and at least someone be kind, even if you don't know them, to be hospitable to strangers. Listen, there are a lot of strangers in here. A lot of them stranger than most. <laughs> and you may not know their name, so they're a stranger to you, but you can still be friendly. We're on the same side in here. We're outnumbered in this city. We're on the same side to be friendly. That's what love is. It's fervent. It's forgiving. It's friendly. And the next characteristic he tells us, in fact, let me back up a minute. Let me tell you Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Listen to what Paul said. He said, if there's any consolation in Christ, and and there is, If there's any comfort of love, and there is. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is. If there's any affection and mercy, and there is. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of of others, but also for the interests of others. You see, we're so self-centered today. It's all about us. It's all about me. They better meet my needs and these people better be friendly to me and they better, they better think this of me and so forth. And we just get so self-centered. But Jesus took that away when he said, our father which art in heaven. Forgive us our sins. Give us our daily bread. You see, no longer can you be selfish, but be friendly. There ought to be a oneness. I love the way somebody penned it this way. They said there should be a oneness between us that when one person weeps, the other one tastes salt. There ought to be that kind of closeness among people. The the fourth characteristic is that love is faithful. It's one thing to sit around and love people. It's another thing to serve. Did you know that every one of you can exhibit love through faithfully serving what God has given you? And there's several truths here I want you to notice. First of all, he speaks of our ability. Look at verse uh, 10. As each one has received a gift... And then verse 11, if anybody speaks, let him speak of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Did you know that each person has received a gift? You've got a gift. I'm not talking about a natural ability. Some have natural ability to do various things. I'm talking about a gift that only comes through the Holy Spirit. You don't ask for it. God has given it to you. 
at least one. Some of you have more than one spiritual gift. Every last one of you who've been born again, accepted Jesus as your Savior, committed your life to him, you have a spiritual gift. You can't get it any other way. And sometimes you'll think, well, God's given me a gift, but I'm afraid to use it. Paul mentions several of these gifts in a couple of portions of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, Romans 12, 6 through 8, and Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. But Peter breaks them down into two broad categories. He said, first, there are speaking gifts. Hmm. I guess these would be the ones that are out in front. People notice these. These are teachers. These are evangelists. These are uh, preachers, people that can speak. There are speaking gifts. You can encourage others, exhort others, evangelistic gifts. Not everybody can speak. Not everybody's got an out front kind of gift. And that's okay. Can you imagine how horrible it would be if every one of us in here were trying to preach at the same time? Not everybody's got that. Some of you would think, if I had to get up here in front of anyone, I couldn't say a word. God gives some that gift. But the other kind of gifts are serving gifts. Minister, ministering gifts. They're the the behind-the-scenes gifts. They are the gifts like leadership and helps and mercy and administration and so forth. And, And we find that they're different. Here's what's amazing. God gives each of us different gifts. And yet, if he gives another person the same gift as me, they're still different because our personalities are different. So think of the millions of gifts that God has given to people that you and I have. You have an ability. Every one of you has an ability from God to be used to further his kingdom through his church. Every one of you. Some of you don't know what it is. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't know what it is. Well, you need to start asking God to show you what that gift. He's going, to give it, he's going to give you something that's going to be easy for you to do. Because he's made it easy for you to do, even though you have to trust him to do it. The second thing is our activity. It says to minister these gifts to one another. The word minister is the word diakoneo. We get our word deacon. The servant idea is strong in the word, suggesting that spiritual gifts are definitely to be used serving God. We're to serve the Lord with our gifts to one another. No matter what your gift is, God gave it to you to be used for his kingdom. Don't hide it. You say, well, my gift's not very big. In in 1972, NASA launched an exploratory space probe called the Pioneer 10. Its mission was to reach Jupiter, to photograph it, uh, to take pictures of its moons and beam the data back to Earth about its magnetic field, its radiation belts, and atmosphere. It was a bold plan for that time in 1972 because no Earth satellite before it could reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and much, much more. Because when it got to the planet in November of 1973, the immense gravity of Jupiter hurled Pioneer 10 at a higher rate of speed 
toward the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. Two billion miles, it passed Uranus. At three billion miles, Neptune. At four billion miles, Pluto. And by 1997, 25 years later, it was more than six billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back signals to the scientists on Earth. The most remarkable thing is that those signals came from an 8-watt transmitter. That's as much power as your bedroom nightlight. They had no idea it would do this. It took nine hours for a transmission to get from where it was to Earth. But it kept on going. The little satellite that could was not qualified to do what it did. But it kept on going and going. And this 8-watt transmitter accomplished more than anyone thought possible. Some of you today think you have an 8-watt bedroom nightlight gift. (laughs) That it won't show up anywhere. But God knows you have it, and God gave it to you, and God expects you to use it for his kingdom, for his glory. If we do not use the gift that God gave us, it's a grace gift. You don't ask for it. You don't go seeking. You know, there are people today who say, well, you need to ask for this gift from God. Well, how is it a gift if you ask for it? Besides that, grace gift means that God's grace gave it to you. And if you don't use it, then God's grace was wasted. Because God's grace gifts don't come to us to hide them. They're to be used through us to touch other lives. You'll notice the progression from God to us to others. It's a humbling thought because God's called you and me to do something that no one else has been called to do at that particular place. Others are not going to answer to God for the gifts that were given to me. I'm going to answer to my to the Lord for the gifts he's given me. You're going to answer to the Lord for the gifts he's given to you and how you have used them. Have you buried them? Have you hidden them? Have you refused to use them? You see, there's supposed to be activity. We're supposed to be using these gifts. We don't sit idly by. Some of you think, well, the only one with gifts are the ones that speak. That's not true. Ministering gifts are the ones that keep this church going through the Sunday school and through the other functions and organizations that we have. When you minister and serve, you're using your gifts that God's given you. Some of you have the capacity to minister to people that... I have to make myself do from time to time because it doesn't come easily for me. And yet, some of you could probably speak, but you'd have to make yourself do it when it comes a little bit easier for me because I've been doing it for so long because God's given me that that ability to do that. And I'm not saying I'm the best at it. I'm just telling you that you have an ability you're supposed to be using. And he's mentioned our ability He's mentioned the activity, but now notice our accountability in verse 10. He said, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold 
grace of God. Stewards. A steward is someone who doesn't own anything but manages for the boss. The boss has all the riches. The boss has all the stuff. It's been granted to you to use, but you are using it at his discretion and his leadership. Folks, did you know you are a steward? You know what you own? You don't own anything. You're not even leaving this earth with the skin that you've got. You're not. You're not taking anything with you. You're not even taking your body. Praise God. I don't want to take this one. Do you? You don't have anything. So everything that you have belongs to God. You are a steward, including your talents, your abilities, your spiritual gift. You're going to give an account one day to God, but I also want you to notice a cool word. You notice the word manifold. And New King James has the word manifold. That's not something on a car engine for the exhaust. Manifold means multicolored. It was used of a multicolored fabric. It's a multicolored grace of God. In the first chapter, he talked about the many various manifold trials that we go through. And here you've got the manifold colored grace of God to go with every trial. But did you know that God's got a gift that fits every one of us? Every one of us. You've got one. You've got a gift. And he says he supplies what you need, the ability which God supplies in verse 11. And that word supplies is an interesting word. It, it, was many, it meant to lead a chorus, to lead a choir. And here's God conducting, let's look at this picture, God conducting the chorus. Every one of us have a different gift. This orchestra does very well. They play so well every Sunday. They all play different instruments, but they're led together. They make a beautiful sound. When God's chorus of people are using their gifts for his kingdom, it is a beautiful picture of what the church is. So you don't just sit. Say, Lord, how can I use my gift? How can I use the gifts that you've given me? And God will supply the necessary strength. When you don't have a proper view of the Lord coming back, you're going to get lazy with your gifts. I know I got plenty of time for that. But when you start thinking about the Lord coming back, Lord, I want to be busy serving you. I want to be using what you've given me to honor you, to further your kingdom, to, to bring glory to you so that one day you'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. So he mentions our ability, he mentions the uh, activity, the accountability, but also notice what our ambition should be. Don't miss this. God did not give us gifts to bring honor to ourselves. And the day that you begin to think, God, you're so lucky to have me on your side is the day God's going to quit using you. Now, trust me, I've been around a lot of preachers who need to be reminded of this. They can strut sitting down. 
Look how great I am. I'm untouchable and so forth. Trust me, I know. Don't ever get to think where, well, God's given me these gifts so that I can get attention for myself. And see, if you're doing it for your own attention and then when nobody pays attention, you get your feelings hurt. But if you're doing it for one reason, Peter said, you need to minister so God gets the glory through Jesus Christ. And when God gets the glory, that's our ambition. Lord, bring honor and glory to yourself. So today, if you don't know Jesus, you can know him. You know about him, but you don't know him. Trust me, there's a difference in knowing about him and knowing him. When you turn from your sin and you ask God to forgive you and you come in repentance and say, God, would you forgive me? You know what God will say? He'll say, yeah, I will. I want to. Because I believe Jesus died for my sin, that you put my sin on him, that he rose again the third day. And, and Lord, I commit my life to you. I, I want to follow you as my Savior. And Jesus will come live in you. The Holy Spirit, we're told, is given to us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God puts his spirit in us as a guarantee. It's the down payment. We're guaranteed our salvation. Some of you have never given your life to Christ. You can today. And as a result of giving your life to Christ, you'll want to do what these did this morning, be baptized. You'll want to say, you know what? I've given my life to Jesus. I want everybody to know. That's what Jesus asked us to do. But then he, he gives you these gifts that you begin to say, Lord, I want to use what you've given me that the world doesn't know about. See, lost people don't have spiritual gifts. They've got natural abilities that that's different. A spiritual gift comes from the Holy Spirit, and you use it for his kingdom. And some of you need to say, Lord, today I want you to help me know what my gift is, and I want you to help me use it for your kingdom, for your glory. If you don't have a church home, I'm praying that God will send people here who want to serve with their gifts. You see, it's not always a position. It's just ministering to one another. These Sunday school groups, these life groups that we have, they minister to one another. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And so that maybe you need to get involved in one of them. Would you bow your heads with me?